0: So, it's really a pleasure for me to look around the room and see familiar faces and new faces. Um, it's always a little mysterious to me, you know, with everything that's going on in Cambridge and how busy everybody's lives are, that there are as many people that come out for these as do. Uh, I mean, I've been around here long enough that a few of you know me, and in spite of that, you keep showing up, which is pretty fascinating. And many of you don't. And you come for the reasons that you come. You know, it's quite mysterious what brings us to practice. Um, So this uh, little couplet uh, that I quoted tonight informs the sort of core for um, both what I'm going to say and then we're going to just talk amongst ourselves a bit. Uh, it comes from a teacher who lived in China in the late 6th, early 7th century. His name was Yunmen, and he took his name from the monastery, that, or from the mountain where his monastery was located, Yunmen, or Cloud Gate. And he was uh, the abbot of a community of several hundred monks, and he had a really interesting life. Um, and his teachings are still studied, you know, all of these uh, centuries later. Um, He uh, walked with a limp, and the story's probably a bit apocryphal, but the way he got his limp was that he sought out a teacher who was known to be a bit crotchety, uh, but quite awake. And he was uh, plagued by a very deep question that he thought this teacher could shed some light on. Uh, So he sought the teacher out, and the teacher was living by himself, um, and uh, knocked at the door, and uh, the, the teacher would open the door a little bit and slam it in this guy's face. And this went on for several visits. Now, I don't know about you all, but I might have some reactivity around that. Uh, we expect our teachers to sort of be kind and patient, and and we've got this idea of what an enlightened being is. Of course, any idea about an enlightened being is wrong uh, because they are unique, and they don't fit a mold. I mean, some people who are awake are pretty crotchety. Uh, Some are quite kind. Some are quite fierce, and some are quite gentle. Uh, some have, will have absolutely nothing to do with teaching. You know, they get some clarity and they keep doing what they're doing or they walk away and just keep doing that. Uh, there's, no, um, there's no particular description that really does justice to someone who has woken up. So this particular teacher apparently was a bit of a handful. And Yunman persisted, which is pretty interesting, you know, how many of us would really persist with a teacher who basically said, go away, and did it in no uncertain terms. There was a teacher named uh, Yuji Krishnamurti, uh, who died a number of years ago, and people would go to him. This is not J. Krishnamurti, this was his sort of uh, dark side, if you will. And people would go to Yuji, and and Yuji would throw them out. Say, I've got nothing for you. There's nothing I can teach you. There's nothing you can get from me. Go away. Uh, for some of us, that's just bait. Right? I oh, mean, you can't really mean it. There must be something I can get if I just hang out here enough and, and do what I'm told. Um... Yuji didn't think so. So uh, Yunmin persists. And one time the teacher opened the door a crack and uh, Yunmin pushed on it and just got his foot inside the door. And uh, the teacher yelled at him, What is it? Yunmin had no answer and the guy slammed the door on him he didn't get his leg out of the way fast enough. And apparently he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. Now, whether this is apocryphal or not, uh, the story says that yun men had a great great awakening at that moment. Uh, That something about that encounter, that flash of pain, uh, opened him up quite deeply. Um, And it's interesting that even though he had a teacher that was so fiery, and he continued to work with this teacher and others to deepen his understanding, Yunmin himself was quite gentle and known for, uh, there's actually a, a book that, you know, like most of, most of teachers from ancient China, uh, it's uh, brought together, it's put together well after the teacher's death, so there's a certain amount of rev- revisionist history that's going on, but this particular volume was uh, within a hundred years after Yunmen had passed, which is actually pretty pretty close in the greater scheme of things. Um, and this book is filled with these these pithy, um, direct pointers. Someone once said to me, in a in a former life, I was an Episcopal priest, and I, you know did the sermon thing. And someone gave me a really good piece of advice uh, and said, you know, if you can't say what you have to say in about 10 or 15 minutes, you probably need an editor or you're not clear. You know, and we think about the usual talks that go on 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes, uh, and how much of that stuff do you actually remember? I mean I I maybe over the last I don't know 40 years I could recall a couple of things from the hundreds and hundreds of talks that I've listened to you know and my memory didn't really start to get holy until about another about I don't know 10 15 years ago so there's quite a potential to remember but it's not there so the 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 sort of pith direct pointers are often the most valuable. Yunmen lived in a time where there was great famine and war and about two-thirds of his community died of starvation. And we don't know exactly when this particular uh, uh, encounter between him and his community came up but it's obviously very brief you know he got on the high seat and said here's my talk you know what's the problem when you're not a, when you're confused about yourself and answered for the per, for a person of the way it's not a problem and got down and that was it now this is in a community where people are dying on a daily basis so there's an urgency there. You know, people are wondering, should I stay here, should I go, should I take my chances in the countryside that's, you know, that's lousy with brigands who all are armed and vicious? Should I stay here amongst my community members and watch them die? Should I stay or should I go? What should I do, how should I do it? And Yunman is most likely addressing this kind of dilemma. We don't have people dying in the streets here in Cambridge yet, in great numbers. But if we lived in Puerto Rico, or in California, I've got some good friends in the Santa Rosa area, and that place has just been leveled. we might have confusion that makes us wonder about the value of our practice. most of us at one level or another have this kind of magical thought that if we just get it right, it'll protect us, sort of like an amulet or a talisman. And even though the Buddha says, sickness, aging, and death are inescapable, uh, losing everything and everyone that we love and value is inescapable. Generally, we don't want to work. look at that. And when it visits us, we're stunned. We're stunned. That's the level of denial the normal human being operates. That's not a criticism or a judgment. I mean, we'd all, including me, be living very differently if we really believed that we could walk out of here and drop dead right? So we, you know, work with sickness, aging, and death, and it's, it's different than if I've been diagnosed with cancer, or my daughter has been diagnosed with something awful, or my house and everything that I've collected over the course of 70 years is burned to the ground, So how in the world could, being, could being, confu- being confused not be a problem? It doesn't make sense in some way. I mean, confusion in this case is sort of code for delusion, confusion, etc. One of the toxins with greed and anger that spins the you know spins the wheel of our suffering, and here is this really wise teacher, who's still studied today, saying to his community that are dying around him, for a person of the way it's not a problem. Doesn't make sense, and sometimes making sense is not what's required. making sense can be quite inadequate. Because if if we take a careful look at our struggle to make sense of something, it's often about control, driven by deep fear. And making sense means organizing things in a way that feel familiar enough i.e. based on past stuff and manageable enough i.e. safe enough to continue going through the day. And yet in some ways that way of making sense shortchanges us. Because it excludes, you know, that, that, that sort of narrow focus on control excludes possibilities that we can never consider when we're trying to make sense out of something. And in some ways, every spiritual practice is about helping us stretch beyond the fear-driven need to make sense, to impose meaning, now often, I, when, I, when I say something like that, what I get back is, well, I, how am I going to live in a meaningless world? It, it's not meaningless, but meaning is imposed. It's a human construct. Is, there, is it possible to rest with the bare experience of being alive in that dynamic, unpredictable wildness of life, of which each of us are a manifestation, and that that expression in and of itself is what's meaningful. And and our ideas about that can never, I mean, literally, we can't get our heads around that. So sometimes, what's required is not to make sense out of it. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you've been confused, and at some point that confusion cleared on its own, and you were left with something that was really new, that was really unexpected? How do we work with confusion? You know, do we try and push it away? Do we try and figure it out? Or do we try and rest as that confusion? What if that confusion is the way? What if the anger that we're feeling at the moment is in fact our Dharma gate to wake up? And that if we're pushing it away or trying to explain it or trying to control it, We're cheating ourselves out of the possibility of waking up to something really different and new. So maybe there are times when you can recall over the course of your life where, you know, confusion was actually something that was quite um, um, generative, loaded with possibility. what does it mean when this is not difficult for a person of the way? That it's not a problem. Confusion is not a problem for a person of the way. Now this would have translated as Tao or uh, Buddha nature or you know someone who's practicing the Buddha way. So how is being confused with oneself or about oneself. Not a problem for a person of the way. I mean, might it have something to do with that being our place of practice? That rather than trying to change it or push it away or even understand it, that our invitation is to really be intimate with it, to wonder about it. You know, what is this confusion? You know, do we find that there's something actually solid there? Do we find that it's a, you know, conflicting stories? You know, that the coin just keeps flipping back and forth? Yes, I will. No, I won't. Yes, I should. No, I shouldn't. What is it that somehow reflects that? How do we meet that and rest as that in that discomfort long enough for whatever is there to really clarify and reveal itself? So those are just some, you know, kind of Random unsolicited thoughts. Um, let's just open this up a little bit. You know, th- what's been coming up for you as I've been reflecting on this out loud um, this uh, question about what's the problem if we're confused about ourselves? And how is it not a problem? Uh, For for a person of the way. So how do you work with confusion? Do you see it as valuable? Do you see it as an impediment? We'll just go popcorn style because I'm really interested in, you know, how you think about this, how you understand it. And I know that this is, you know, this is... You know, many of you may not know each other, and to speak up in a group like this, personally, I would have found daunting at one point in my life. So whoever is most comfortable, feel free to jump in. Otherwise, we can go back and sitting and sit for the next hour or so.